0: And
1: try again Torah Resource presents The Rob and Caleb Show Oh aboard And now, from two sides of the same state Here they are Rob and Caleb oh,
0: What up and shalom welcome to the rob and caleb show my name is caleb Hag, and with me as always my friend my mentor my teacher rob Hoff. what up rob shalom caleb how's it going brother it is going well all right well Hashem. Praise I, God. I have been extremely ill my wife says that i shouldn't exaggerate i feel like i've been extremely ill my wife thinks that i haven't um <laughs> <laughs> but I have not been feeling very good, and so if you uh if you hear it in my voice today, like I am uh, and also, you know, sickness tends to make me a little bit more ornery. Uh, you know, you I you Honry? I know right I, I I tend to fly off the handle a little bit more when I'm not feeling one hundred percent. and maybe that'll come through in the show today. Um, and also, by the way, at the time that this show is being aired, if you're listening at uh, on Thursday at two o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time, then I should be landing in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada right now. We are pre-recording this show, and I will be flying out with my father to Edmonton to uh, be there. and And uh, my dad, my dad's going to be doing some teaching up there, and so we're excited to see uh, the group that we. This is, I think, will be the third or the fourth time. I'm not. I can't remember that we'll be up in Edmonton with this uh, with the same group. So we're excited to be up there with them. And, uh, hopefully we'll have some, you know, my dad's teaching on prayer. One of his sessions is going to be on prayer and I don't think I've ever heard my father teach on prayer before I've picked his brain on prayer, but I've never heard him actually present on prayer. So this is going to be interesting for me while I'm up there videotaping all this, but yes. Okay. Let's get back to things at hand. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show. Uh, Rob, what's life like, man? How, how's your week been? This week we've been trying to keep cool. You know, it's been real
1: hot. Uh you know, we in Spokane area we generally get four distinct seasons. Well we're like full bore into the summer season. Yeah. This week we're high nineties in into next week I guess we're gonna be pushing a hundred. And, you know, uh we do have some trees that give us a little bit of shade in the evening, but boy, it, it gets real hot we you know, without air conditioning. And I, I've been taking, the, kind of running sprinklers on the patio to keep the concrete cool. It's kind of <laughs> strange sounding, but uh, it seems to help a little bit. Uh, so only in my, Spokane, kind of, would my you, brain slows down in the heat. Only, like, only so you talk about being more honry, you know, when you're uh, battling a sickness. I tend to, it's like I my brain dumps down a little bit in the the heat. I have to really up my liquids.
0: Only in Spokane would people water their concrete. You <laughs> might be a redneck. <laughs> oh my word and, you know and it does, uh, what it does is because
1: that this concrete uh kind of big concrete slab it's like our back patio just gets pummeled with sunshine all day long and it reflects up into the house through the the uh, glass in the doors and windows and you can just feel the heat coming off that concrete and it just holds that heat so what i do is i go out and I'm not gonna lie it to down you. Every once in a while, and it does. It really makes a difference. It cools. It uh, I'm cools not, off the concrete. I am
0: not gonna lie to you. I thought you were joking. I thought you were making that up. But you're no. totally
1: serious. I, <laughs> and it's you know I, I come from a line of engineers, and they they all recommend it. I, I thought it was crazy, I'm like oh, watering my concrete. Okay. My dad actually suggested setting up one of those little sprinklers.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! You know they do that in Israel. Actually, so I, it's th- cool. So cool water is running off. They. they, the, they the concrete all day when I was in Israel you know there, there was like a drought there they were like oh no don't use too much water you know like th- don't leave your faucet running you know take short showers because we have a drought right now and then you walk outside and nobody's using a broom everyone was using a hose to hose off their <laughs> their concrete in front anyway okay well uh, you know last week we talked about what did we talk about oh yeah it was a slew of different things we just talked. We like we just reached into the to the garbage bin of society, also known as the uh, the, the internet, and we I call it yeah dump, dumpster diving. Dumpster diving. That's exactly it's, what we did. We went dumpster diving last week. We talked about all sorts of stuff. Everything from Mark Driscoll and Staley up to and through. I, I don't know. We talked about. Do it we a have lot any? Of stuff. Are there any updates on those? I don't, we we don't need to get back into that. But I was just wondering over the last week. Any not that, information? Not that I've seen. Now, I, I would think that uh, Staley's going to have, you know, his trial hasn't gone on yet. And Passion for Truth is, you know, bless their heart. I have, I have good friends over at Passion for Truth. My friend David Wilber, uh, now, I've actually never, I don't believe I've actually ever met Dave uh, face-to-face. But I've seen a, a couple of his videos on YouTube. He seems like, you know, and, and we're Facebook friends. We talk every once in a while. He seems like a really nice guy. And... Uh, so you know, I, we we chat. I I have I have friends over at Passion for Truth, but it, it sure seems to me like they're trying to do some some uh, damage control right now, and, posi- and you know, rightly so. so rightly so. I don't, I don't know whether or not Staley's still teaching her or, or uh, what's going on with all that, but I can't imagine that he's having his uh, his trial yet. So I don't think we should be getting any updates for I don't know a couple of weeks now. And of course Driscoll, uh, man, there's a new scandal with that guy all the time. I'm I just I just wait. You know, for the next scandal to come out, that guy should not be teaching at all. He should be taken out of any kind of leadership, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so last week we talked about all that stuff, and then we I, I threw out the the uh, you know the challenge to to send us things uh, you know that you wanted to hear us talk about. And you send that out again if you want to hear us talk about something, then uh, send us an email. RadioResource.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Caleb Hag. There's two G's in Hag. You can follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Van Hoff. There is two F's in Van Hoff. And uh, so we threw out the call as uh, saying, "Hey, send us some topics if you want to hear us talk about something." We got one response. That's right, one response from our good friend Aaron. Aaron lives, I believe he lives south. He's like in Vancouver, Washington area. I think he's actually in. Vancouver uh, I could be wrong he might be in Portland uh, he's in that he's in that area though Portland's not far away from Vancouver if, if you don't know what we're talking about anyway um, so our good friend Aaron he's come up uh, you might have heard us reference him before he visited uh, Rob Van Hoff's congregation recently he used to live in the Tacoma area And so he used to come to like our congregation used to have some, uh, some classes that were taught and he would come to those classes. I always thought that he was like, I always kind of, I always kind of looked up at, looked up to him as like a cool guy. You know what I mean? Like he always had like a, a leather jacket and like a mullet and like drove a Camaro Camaro or something. You mean a Van Hoff? A Van Hoff? That's right. He was, not, not that it would have been called that then, but now, I mean, we, we can <laughs> Yes, an, but now we can call it a van. Right? He had a Vanhoff. He he drove like a Camaro just or joking, a Mustang. Aaron. Yeah, we're, I'm probably, you know, he's probably embarrassed. Maybe not, but he always just, like, he, he exuded coolness back when I was, you know, like in the 90s. I was just like, wow, that guy's cool. Anyway, um, so actually, it, I should turn off my email notifications. If you just heard my email notification go off, it's actually a little bit funny, uh, who I just got an email from because we're going to be talking about him today. Um, so anyway, so uh, let me get back to, uh, Aaron and his coolness. So Aaron wrote in and said, uh, shall you actually read some of this? He talks about Staley a little bit and, and, uh, whatnot. And then, uh, so he says there in the Portland area, there's a lot of nonsense that goes on the two house, you know, there's a lot of melting, but, and, you know, I've been preparing to write this short little thing, uh, anyway, I'm not even gonna get into it. Um, I've been preparing to write something and, and, uh, one of the things that's kind of just, I don't know, been a little bit of a downer to me recently is the idea of how much nonsense goes on in the messianic movement. And Aaron puts it perfectly. He says messy antics instead of messianics. And that's totally right. I've st- I've, I've decided that I finally found a term that I like Torah movement, not messianic. I'm part of the Torah movement. And the reason why is because that encompasses like Christians who keep Torah It encompasses. And then like from there you have to kind of like explain theology, but at least we're not, you know, at least I'm not lumped in with messianics or because there's so, I mean, maybe that's not a bad thing, but there's just so much nonsense that goes on in the messianic movement. Anyway. So Aaron talks about how the two house, you know the two house. There's also different sorts of things. It's a melting pot of like two house and sacred name and like all this kind of stuff down where he lives. And then you know he he's asked to come and, and speak. So then he <laughs> he references this one group that's in Salem, which is in Oregon, and uh, he he gives us a link to the website. Now I went to the website and when you first see like when you first should I give the name? No, I'm not even going to give the name of the website. Anyway, so when you go to the website, it's. The name of the website alone exudes two-houseness. It's, it's definitely a two-house group. And so, you know, there's a lot of nonsense just on their homepage. But then he also sends a link <laughs> to their holocaust page. Okay, so on the holocaust page is this article written by Skip Moen. I am well aware of Mr. Moen. And actually... Earlier when I said that uh, I got an interesting email, you know, the ding that you heard, and then I said I got an interesting email, that email was from Skip Moen. Anyway, he's got his doctorate in philosophy. And uh, this is just, okay, What uh, look, before we even jump into it, first of all, thank you, Aaron, and your cool haircut for sending me an email. Uh, he probably doesn't even have the same haircut. I haven't seen that guy in so long. I miss seeing you, Aaron. If you're listening, I I miss seeing you, buddy. Um, So, Rob, first thoughts, first inclinations of this article. Well, I think
1: that he (laughs) is, uh, well, the article, it's called What Must You Believe? Yes. And he's taking these five bullet points that were printed in a little pamphlet that he had received
0: I think he found it on the ground. Anyway, first of all, let me jump over to Skip's actual website because basically what he did was he copied, they copied and pasted this off of Skip's site. Oh, okay. I didn't see that part. And, uh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, there it is.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, it's from about a year ago. It looks like... Or a- April 2013. So, you know, we're about a year behind. Oh, well.
0: So, so Aaron basically has written and said, Look, we got a lot of people down in our area. They're jumping on this bandwagon. They they jump onto this whole Skip mowing thing. And then you know they start their little their their little groups, and then they ask me to come in and teach, and I have to go like unteach them all this stuff and teach them the truth. And then you know he ends his email with something that we'll talk about later too. He ends his email asking about you know what what needs to be taught first. This is an excellent question, by the way. Um, anyway, so uh, he says, P- "I'll read a little bit of what Aaron says." This is what Aaron wrote in his email uh, that we're referencing. <laughs> People that are new to Shabbat and Torah are traveling from the PDX Vancouver area down there uh, for this. And he's referencing the, the website that we're going to be talking about. Then they bring it back and start their own home groups teaching this stuff. Then they get someone like me to come in to help and, oy, where do you start? They've been given... Uh, a huge question mark on the Bible, Yeshua, salvation, sanctification, etc. And this is this is a huge problem within the Messianic movement. It's not just Aaron that's having this problem. This is going on left and right. Uh, once that seed of doubt is planted, it seems much harder, if not impossible, to get rid of it. I've used Tim's uh, Three Fatal Flaws paper quite a bit since I've moved here. But anymore, that seems to pale in comparison to the other things they are being taught. And he, the three fatal flaws uh, paper that he's referencing is a two house, is, two house right is a, is an article against two house theory. So let's talk about this uh, this article by Skip real quick. Uh, so basically, what he does is he says I received a pamphlet outlining the meaning of the of the new birth, quote unquote new birth. Um, and so then it gives these five points. I'm going to read these five points so that everybody kind of knows what we what, what he's talking about, what Skip's talking about in this article. Number one, the scriptures, the word of uh, Almighty Elohim written as set apart people of old were moved by the Ruach HaKodesh or the Holy Spirit to be uh, studied, believed, and obeyed. Okay. Um, so he takes
1: issue with each of these. He's going right? to take
0: I- issue with every single one of these. Now, I actually, when I was first reading this, uh, this uh, you know, his article, I thought these were his points. And I started to think to myself, okay, are these salvation issues? Do we believe that you have to, you know, I guess one of the questions that first pops into my head is, if a person believes that the Apocrypha is scripture, can they can they still be saved? I would say yes.
1: I heard the other qu- question just, was it two days ago, someone asked, can I, can I believe in Jesus and in UFOs and still be a Christian? <laughs> I, I'd, never heard, I'd never heard that. But it was an honest question that someone like really sincerely was asking, so.
0: And, and this is basically what Skip says here, and, and maybe we should, uh, you know, he he brings this point up, you know, uh, basically the idea is, it, okay, everyone who's listening who's heard more than one of our shows knows that I am a huge proponent of Sola Scriptura. I think it is essential, I think it's vital, I think it's one of the main doctrines that we need to rest our you know rest upon. Uh sola scriptura saying that that the bible the 66 books of the of of the word of god uh, are the final authority for us and that we we build our faith upon these books. So I am a huge proponent of sola scriptura. I think that but but I guess the question could be posed, do you think that it's do you think it's necessary for salvation to believe in the 66 books? Of the Bible, you know, Luther said that uh, James, that the book of James was a book of straw, and there are other, you know, there are other reformers who took issue with other books, uh, but they still left them in there. Tyndale himself, uh, who I'm a huge fan of, I, I always really enjoy Tyndale's work and, and uh, you know his story in general. Tyndale also thought that there were books within the within the sixty six books that shouldn't be in there, uh, but he still included them in, in his Bible. He did that for a reason. Why? Because he realized that. Uh, the voice of, of the masses throughout history had confirmed that, this, that these books were from God. Anyway, so beyond, beyond that, uh, does a person have to believe that the 66 books of the Bible are, are, are the word of God to be saved? I would say no, you don't have to believe that. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's, again, it's one of those pull on that thread, where does it end? you know, can a person be saved just by by reading the, Tanah, the Tanakh, or let's even say the Torah? Yeah, absolutely. I think they can. Uh, you know, the, I, I don't think that the, the, there were obviously people in the in the Tanakh itself that uh, had true saving faith without having uh, the apostolic scriptures, or without having all of the Tanakh, or without even having the Torah in written form, like Abraham. Um, you know, Abraham believed in God, and it was counted in his righteousness. So, uh, do we have do Do you have to have a a belief in the sixty six books of the Bible to be saved? I would say no.
1: Okay. Here's, here's an interesting point too is that the question uh, that that Moen takes on this is completely different than the question I would ask. I mean, because the, the apparently the way he presents it here, what you must believe is. The pamphlet said, "Quote five things that must be believed in order for one to be born into the kingdom of heaven." So, the idea that these here's a list of things that must be believed in order for you to be born into. uh, I would take a completely different angle. You know, he it doesn't seem to be occur to him that faith, saving faith, is not a work that we do. I say that again. I'm sorry. Maybe I missed that. Saving faith is a gift, absolutely from God. Absolutely, we 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 don't choose. And I know that. And maybe this is a place. There's a basic um, hermeneutical orientation that Mr. Moen has that's different. Uh, But from uh, my perspective, and I think Torah resource perspective, uh, pretty uniform on this. um, That. Faith is a gift that bears fruit. But we don't have anything but, to do with it. But, we, but it, it's it's God who does the birthing. In other words, like it's not by the will of man or by the will of the flesh, but we're born of God. It's not something we choose for ourselves. That's
0: absolutely right. Now,
1: later, we might, once born and found in his faith, in the faith of the Messiah, we might look back and tell tell ourselves a story, you know, oh, I chose this or something, or somehow I'm choosing this. But uh, in fact, the way this is worded, five things that must be believed in order for one to be born. In other words, you must do this, this, and this. Right off the bat, I take issue with the same pamphlet that Skip Moen is taking Absolutely. issue with. However, on a complete, just I think that Moen just swings and misses time and time again. I think he's. To- uh, He wants to say, he says, is it really necessary to believe that Scripture is the Word of God? And then he goes on to say, well, what does it mean to believe? Is it an intellectual assertion? So basically what you're saying— And then then he says, well, what is Scripture itself? How do we know? Is it the Catholic Bible? Is it the Jewish Bible? Is it the Protestant Bible? Which one? Abraham didn't have the Bible, and he kind of—he just throws all this stuff on the table. You
0: can tell that he has his doctorate in philosophy.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, it he, doesn't, it leads, doesn't, it's he not, asks
0: a gazillion questions to try
1: to pull the rug out. He offers no uh, direction, but the idea is that certainly not. One does not have to believe in the sense of there's no salvation. <laughs> there's no salvational fruit to be gotten from someone saying, you know, I believe that these 66 books are, you know, that, that, that's not a salvation element. That could be a declaration of where they're, you know, devotion, and that they believe that they are in fact inspired.
0: So basically you're... you're, you're what but that you're, doesn't
1: produce, that's
0: not, that doesn't result in them being born into the kingdom. What you're saying is, is that Skip has some good points here. In, other, in terms of, you know, no, these aren't saving, but he, but Skip is not addressing the issues. What Skip is doing is, or maybe I should call him Mr. Moen. What Mr. Moen is doing is is uh, confusing the issue more and really just, just uh, stirring up a, a hornet's net, nest instead of answering any kind of you know, a- answering, right. a- giving a good answer. Okay, let's. let's well, and not, not only that, he'll say he'll say, well, what about? Here's a sentence he says.
1: Question: What about significant differences in the history record in Scripture itself? So now what's now he's talking about Scripture, but we don't know what Scripture he's talking about. He also says, what do I do about? Uh, the examples in Matthew alone, where the author deliberately manipulates references in the Tanakh to fit his agenda and he 's talking about the he 's
0: talking he 's talking about he 's talking about the genealogies of course
1: well that or uh, other places where hes where he 's ad- agreeing kind of with the bart Ehrman, Ehrman. Uh, yeah, bart Ehrman. approach yeah. that sees Matthew as the author of the Gospel of Matthew as deliberately distorting uh scriptures and picking and choosing them and telling a story according to his own agenda, so, so, not really what the
0: Scriptures mean. So you, the way that you, let me see if I understand this. But as every every one of our loyal 35, 36 listeners know, uh, you know, we don't we don't really prepare for, the, <laughs> for this show. This is all pretty much off the cuff. So Rob and I have not talked about this together. Rob, are you suggesting then that, uh, that what Skip is doing is he's actually calling into question uh, the validity of some Scripture— or it seems like he's calling into question the validity, the validity of some of the sixty-six books himself.
1: It, it's like he he well, he never closes the loop for us. He he just throws a question on the table, and the question itself. And I'll read it again. What do I do about just the examples in Matthew alone, where the author deliberately manip- manipulates references in the Tanakh to fit his agenda? If I just heard that question alone. It implies. It states that Matt, the Gospel of Matthew, contains deliberate manipulations of the Tanakh. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, with you. I can't. I, I'm not gonna. I, that's what's assumed in his question. I don't believe. I don't agree with him. I wouldn't. I, that's not a question. I.
0: No, I, what, I, I'm I, with you. I'm totally with you. Okay, hang on. So, let's, let, let's get back to this. Though we need to get back to these questions because we're actually. I mean, I love it how we, we say, oh, man, we don't know if this topic is going to take up enough time. We've we've talked about one of the questions. We're in like over past a third of our show. Okay. So let's go to number two. Okay. Let's go to number two. This is in the pamphlet. This is not this is not Mr. Moen's uh, answer to the pamphlet. This is the actual pamphlet that he's talking about. So these are the things that this pamphlet is saying, the five things that you have to believe to be saved, apparently, according to this pamphlet. The virgin birth. The pure, sinless blood of Ush- yah Ha-shua. they spell you wrong, and I think yeah, that's, yeah, that yeah, I, I, th- uh, th- I think that was the pamphlet, that's not Mr. Mullen. Yeah, that's, I, I think that was the pamphlet, not not Skip. Anyway, so Yehoshua, uh, so the pure, sinless blood of Yeshua came from the Father in heaven. Okay, now I agree that I think that the virgin birth is a extremely important doctrine. I think it's clearly scriptural. I think it is. Uh, you know, I, I think that you have huge problems with the idea of justification through a uh, sinless uh, basically, you know if, if Yeshua was born from a, and had a, a human father, then he automatically has sin attributed to him. So he wouldn't be a perfect lamb that could that could die uh, that could you know, die for the sins of others because he already has the sin of Adam attributed to him. The fact that Yeshua was born of a virgin, i.e. that God was the, uh, you know, God was the father, that means that Adam's sin was not handed down to Yeshua, therefore he can be a spotless lamb. Without that, you don't have a spotless lamb, you have a lamb that's blemished. And so, to take away the idea of the virgin birth, you do have huge theological issues. Would I say that someone's not saved? Because they don't believe in the virgin birth, uh, I would never say that. That's that's uh, that's definitely not up to me, and and I just don't I don't think that we can, I don't think we can use categorical statements like that that a person can't be saved. Uh, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Are you mm-hmm. you with me on that? Yeah. And of course, Skip has a lot to say about this, but it, once he, he says here to it and on
1: that point, he says certainly Abraham had fellowship with Hey. And certainly, Abraham did not, in italics, not uh, emphasis, uh, did not believe in the virgin birth.
0: I don't know where he would get that from.
1: Well, uh, for, you know, first of all, how do we know that Abraham did not uh, believe this? is not something we know. What we do know, Abraham uh, believed in a double uh, impossibility that his wife, who was already in Akkara, from Genesis eleven, it says that she was barren. And not only was she in Accara her whole life, I'm sure they tried to have kids for decades and decades. Nothing. Well, and I'm then ba- she's beyond but, the, no, the time you, of women it describes. But but we know And he and and then sure enough, by God's word, he produces
0: a child or a son through Sarah. But even beyond Sarah. that, God gives him circumcision. Do you think that God just said, Do this and I'm not gonna explain it to you? No, circumcision is to... I mean, God gave him circumcision. It was a sign that, that, that he was supposed to cut away flesh from the reproductive organ. Yeah. And, and that he was supposed to have... You know, and he was supposed to do the show that that Isaac wasn't going to come through uh, natural means of procreation. That his wife, who was beyond the years years of procreation, was going to have a child. But also, then it's a foreshadow of the Messiah, which surely Abraham believed in because his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so, surely Abraham understood that circumcision not only applied to Isaac, that Isaac was going to come through uh, unconventional terms, but that the Messiah was going to come through miraculous terms as well. Exactly. Exactly. And, so
1: I think I think Moen is just miss another swing and a miss. He's I mean he's and he's swinging hard. This is like Babe Ruth, maybe or yeah, something. But he's just he's tr- trying. Mike okay, Casey.
0: Let's go to number three. I, what what I really want to get to get what I really want to get to is number four. But we're gonna go we're gonna go through these. So number three okay. is Yahushua. Once again, spelled wrong. This is this is the pamphlet, not skip. Uh, Yahushua was, is, and will ever be the eternal Almighty Elohim who came in the flesh for our redemption. Now. I have not actually read Skip's uh, uh, response to this, and I should have because uh, I want to see what he says. So I'm going to read Skip's response. Have you read this, Rob? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. The Incarnation, this is Skip responding to the, the number three. The Incarnation is clearly a central tenet of our faith, but how precisely Yeshua is yod Vavhe vav is an issue, especially for those who embrace an, an a Hebraic worldview. This leads us to the doctrine of the Trinity. I don't necessarily think that's true but okay this leads us to the doctrine of the Trinity Trinity formulated in Greek philosophical categories nearly 400 years after the last writings of the New Testament that is absolutely not true that is simply wrong Tertullian was the first to use the word Trinity but uh, there was even people before Tertullian who uh, who who taught the Trinity what is implied in this third requirement should not take us to, the, to a doctrine that would be unrecognizable by any Jew in the first century. There is no doubt that hundreds of first century Jews believe that Yeshua was divine, but how that occurs is not clear, and the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't make it any clearer. Okay, so for some reason he has brought this idea of the Trinity. Um, the, to be fair to whoever wrote the pamphlet, they don't mention the Trinity. No, not at all, and, and I'm not sure why. Why Mr. Moen has decided it seems to a bring little bit in. of a
1: straw man um,
0: because it doesn't. I'm not. It's not clear why. It sounds like a it sounds like a shock shock value argument. You know, now I'm not comparing. Heaven forbid that 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 Mr. Moen hears this and, and thinks that I'm comparing him to Michael Rude. But uh, you know, Michael Rude does shock value uh, uh, teaching all the time. And that teaching is, uh, you know, if I if I shock the people so much, they'll want they'll, they'll want to know what I'm saying because I'm going to shock them so much. And then I'll get them, you know, once once they get into the teaching a little bit, then they'll say, oh, okay, I understand what he's saying. Yeah, I agree with that. It's this shock value. Um, you know, the Trinity is a hot button issue for a lot of, you know, for a lot of messianics. Okay, whatever. Um, but... You know, I just don't, I don't see why you would bring the Trinity into this argument. Okay. So let's move on to number four, uh, because number four is really the one that I want to talk about. Uh, so number four in the pamphlet says his substitutionary death on the stake paid the punishment required by the father's justice, thus justifying all who receive his payment for our sins. One of the reasons that I find this to be the one that I want to talk about is because I I, I I, believe that. I believe that to have saving faith, you have to believe that the Messiah Yeshua, no one else, there's no other way that the Messiah Yeshua came and paid the price for you. That his uh, his atonement is the justifier for you. You are justified through the blood of the Messiah Yeshua. There is no other way of salvation. That's it. That's the only way of salvation is a gift from God. And it's nothing that we have ever done. Okay. So, and I feel like that's what this pamphlet is saying. Now, granted they've set, this is number four. This should have been number one and possibly the only one, but, uh, I'm going to read it again. His substitutionary death on the stake paid the punishment required by the father's justice, thus justifying all who receive his payment for our sins. Okay. So, uh, I thought for sure that I turned off my notifications. I apologize, everyone, uh, for my email notifications that keep binging. Okay, so um, let's get back to. So this is what. Let's read now what Skip has to say about number four. Okay, this is really what got me going. Number four, substitutionary atonement is a clear concept in the Tanakh, but substitutionary atonement on the stake is nowhere to be found. He means like on the cross. But That's right.
1: Deliberately saying staros is not, it's not like a letter T. Yeah. It's like a vertical post. That's
0: well, and I think he's using to be fair to Mr. Mo and he's using the language that was used in the, in the pamphlet. Right. Right. Okay. In fact, Leon Morris, a world recognized Greek scholar of the new Testament can say, and then he quotes Morris. Here's the quote. For a cross has no place in the sacrificial system and stands only for a particularly unpleasant death end quote okay so the reason that I contacted uh, mr. Moen which I did this morning was because I could not fa- I have that book actually I don't but I need to take pictures of our office uh, my father. It's in your office it's in it's in our it's in our library let's just say that Um, so I looked this quote up because I wanted to, I want to see what, uh, Morris, Leon Morris had to say. It seemed like, uh, something that Morris, it didn't sound like a quote, like, uh, something like Morris would be saying. I I couldn't find it on the page that he referenced that Mr. Moen referenced, which was 119. Well, uh, Mr. Moen was kind enough to respond very quickly to my uh, request. And sure enough, I have an older copy. So, with a little bit more digging, I find out that it's not on my page 119, it's on my page 125. And sure enough, that's pretty much exactly the quote. Uh, But this is in context, this is in a totally different, I would argue that this is in a totally different context. And I'm going to read uh, what uh, Leon Morris says in his conclusion. Okay, so, what... It seems to me what Moen is trying to, to argue is that is that he's taking this quote from Leon Morris and he's saying, look, Leon Morris agrees with me that uh, this this death on the on the cross is it cannot uh, bring a, about a substitutionary atonement. Okay, so this is what Leon Morris has to say in the conclusion. This is after uh, the quote in question. He says, thus. It seems tolerably certain that in both the Old and New Testament, the blood signifies essentially the death. It is freely admitted that there are some passages in which it is possible to interpret the blood as signifying life, but even these yield a better sense and one which is consistent with the wider biblical usage, if understood to mean life given up in death. In particular, there seems no reason for disputing the the dictum of J. Bem. Be, B-E-H-M, uh, quote, blood of Christ is like cross, only another clearer expression for the death of Christ in its salvation meaning. It's not even, t- I mean, it's, I would argue that he, it, they're not even on the same topic. He's saying that the word blood or uh, that he, what, what I see Morris, uh, Leon Morris arguing is that this term blood of Christ can be interchanged with the word cross. So in other words, when someone says the cross within scripture, most of the time we could interpret that as the blood of Christ. In other words, his atoning death on the cross. It has nothing to do with not atoning for, you know, a stake not atoning for, for sin. Are you hear, Are you hearing what I'm laying down right. here, and
1: I, It seems like what the quote that, Moen is uh, bringing uh, from Dr. Morris is that at least my understanding is that it's just the simple fact that, well, you can look throughout the Torah and you're not going to see any uh, priests doing any kind of uh, ritual where there's a cross. Is that what Maybe I'm missing I, it.
0: I think, well, let's read the rest of what, what Moen's saying, because he's going to clarify a little bit of this. So, furthermore, even the New te- this is from Skip Moen, uh, we're back to Moen again. Furthermore, even the New Testament recognizes that the substitutionary atonement took place before the foundations of the world. Well, he's the, once again, he's thinking within time. So, he's saying that it's not, it wasn't Yeshua's death on the cross that made this atonement, necessarily. The claim here is certainly typical of the Christian faith, but it hardly finds any justification in Hebrew thought. I disagree with that. In addition, we will have some difficulty uh, with the claim that Yeshua's death, quote, paid the punishment required by the Father's justice. What? No, we won't have any difficulty with that. I'm not sure that justice, quote unquote justice, is the right context for substitutionary atonement. Mishpat, justice, is about the entire operation of the government of God. Disobedience results in punishment, and punishment can be met, meted out in many different ways. Consequently, this is still mowing, by the way. Consequently, justice is served when uh, restitution is made. When offerings are given, the, then rituals are performed, all according to the Tanakh. Substitutionary atonement is only one of the many ways of securing restoration of fellowship. There are clearly several other ways to deal with the broader category of sin. Wrong. That is absolutely wrong. There is no other way.
1: He, do, he doesn't uh, – he just takes it for granted. He says there are clearly several other ways. Well, I uh, maybe he could say – oh, well, I guess maybe uh, down here he does try to – I'm just kind of – Okay, let's ahead. keep
0: going. I'm, I'm going to read this whole thing before I, before I start using the word heretic here. Uh, here what must be in mind is the fact that the Levitical system provides no sacrifice for deliberate sins. Therefore, the claim is often made that Yeshua's death covers deliberate sins. But this leads to other problems with scriptural claims. For example, Micah recounts God's own words about what is required in order to restore fellowship, and there is no mention of substitutionary death among the three things Micah reveals. And he's talking about Micah 6.8. Furthermore, Isaiah speaks, of God's be- uh, speaks on God's behalf, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 2, Claiming that iniquity is removed because the people have suffered twice over, again there is no concept of substitutionary atonement pre- present here. The suffering of the people is the atonement. Hang on, so there, the suffering of the people is the atonement. Do you find as much problem with that statement as I? Yeah, do? yeah. And he's drawing,
1: he's drawing from these prophetic. Uh, Passages that are describing poetically God's desire for His people to be, uh, you know, to walk in His ways and His desire for restoration with them. And there's a whole poetry of uh, uh, that the prophets use in song and, uh, you know. Well, okay. Let's parallelism. keep. Let's just and keep. And what, what he's not doing, he's not quoting Torah. No. And he's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In other I words, totally he's agree. picking these these uh, single places where I don't think Isaiah would say, "Oh, yeah, the people suffering in this case was in fact the
0: atonement." Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. Let's let's continue here. Uh, let's read the rest of this. Um, so he, so, Skip goes on and says, "Does the, there's only two lines left? Does the substitutionary death of Yeshua affect forgiveness?" Yes, but exactly how that is accomplished isn't quite so clear. Th- wrong, again. Uh, continuing on with, with Mr. Mullen, the claim that it is the only way of forgiveness is accomplished seems to ignore a significant portion of Scripture. Once again, wrong. I, You know... I, I it sounds to me like what what Moen is saying is is that there is more than one way of to of uh atonement for sin. My father says my father, he's not
1: coming out and but he's not being uh he doesn't just come out and say that in terms of there's more than one way to be in the kingdom
0: of heaven than yeshua, is he? Is he going that far? I don't <sighs> I don't know. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, my father's desk is like I don't know, maybe five feet from me. I can throw things at my father. It's through a doorway, but I can throw things at my father if I really want to. So, my father overhears a lot of our. Uh, you he know, can throw things at and you. and he can throw things at like me, which books. which he just did. He just threw he just threw a piece of paper at me. Um, so he can hear. You know, there's no door. The, the door's open on the doorway. There's no there's no door. He's he's heard our conversation. So my father says this, uh, he threw this piece of paper at me that says this, In the tabernacle slash temple, the blood on Yom Kippur does not have value of justification until it is applied to the top of the ark. Amen. In the same way, the death of Yeshua, his shed blood, has sacrifice for sinners. His shed blood as sacrifice for sinners must be applied. What Yeshua accomplished through his death and resurrection is applied to the sinner through faith in space and time. Thus... Justification was accomplished in the past, but it is applied in space and time by the exercise of saving faith in Yeshua, a faith which is itself a gift of God to the elect. Isn't it nice to have somebody sitting that close to you who can just throw out stuff like that? Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I, I totally agree with my father. uh, There are so many problems that I see with this whole statement. There are so many issues. First of all, there is not more than one way. There is not multiple ways of atoning for sin. The idea that the Tanakh teaches that uh, that intentional sin can't be paid for by the death of Yeshua, which is what I think he's saying here, is absolute nonsense and bordering on... I, well, I would say it's a heretical view. I'm not going to call Skip a, a heretic. But if he's suggesting... That we have more ways of of uh, justification than by the blood of Yeshua on the cross, uh, that is definitely a heretical view and one that I fully reject. It, it, it's it's vexing, quite frankly. Um, and beyond that, it just seems like he's being very vague. I mean, do you have anything else to say about that? Well, it's just we... that,
1: just to repeat that the last lines that you read. He says, "Does the substitutionary death of Yeshua affect forgiveness?" Yes, um, <laughs> but exactly how is that? how that is accomplished isn't quite so clear. The claim that it is the only, emphasis his here in Natalix, the claim that it is the only way forgiveness is accomplished seems to ignore a significant portion of Scripture. So he's saying that, that Yeshua's, yes, Yeshua's death is substitutionary. It seems like he does affirm that and that it does affect forgiveness, which means he must lean Calvinist it's not a uh for that if he really holds to that wording that it, yeshua affects forgiveness that means yeshua aco- yeshua shed blood accomplishes something real not uh potential in other words it is inevitable and in fact a forgiveness that mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. not a uh a guy you know driving around playing music selling ice cream you know coming by if you want it kind of thing uh, and so it seems that The wording here, he would lean towards the Calvinist view. Yeah, but But then, but 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 then at the end, he says the claim that it is the only way forgiveness is accomplished. uh, His, he seems to say that yes, Yeshua's uh, blood affects forgiveness, but it's not the only way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I'm like, okay. uh, So is he? This kind of reminds me now of the places in kind of Messianic Judaism that are really trying to uh, do their best to be accepted whatever that means by uh greater Israel whatever that means uh, to say okay you know somehow they you, you don't have to believe in Jesus really I mean if you're just doing the Torah and it looks like you're it looks like you're pious and you love God then just keep doing what you're doing
0: look here, this is this is one of the big issues. That I see with messi with the messianic movement right now, and this is one reason that I like the the term Torah movement instead of messianic movement, but i 'm sure as soon as we start using that it 's going to be watered down with all sorts of nonsense as well anyway, so the problem that I see with the messianic movement is is that and i i 'll be honest, I read a little bit ahead uh, here on his on his uh you know well i 'll just read this this is his conclusion, and we didn 't even touch on number five yet. Uh, which we can do in just a few seconds if we want to. But but what what what, uh, Skip says is, he says, questions, questions, questions. Perhaps what we must learn is the simple declaration commonly held by Christian believers, even those who now find solace in the Messianic movements, are not quite so simple after all. Far too often they are loaded with theological and philosophical implications that even the speaker may not recognize. They are so much a part of our own paradigm that we don't even question them. Okay, I, I am all for every, you know, I have done some serious searching in theological issues in my life. I have, uh, I've studied church history, I've studied some of these doctrines and whatnot, and I've done that because I think that everyone should have a clear understanding where these doctrines come from. The problem that I see is that it doesn't seem like Skip's done that. In fact, what, what I think happens in the Messianic movement a lot is that we come, is that people come out of the Christian church and they think, I've been lied to this whole time. And so I'm going to go clear as far as possible onto the other side. I'm going to become as Jewish as possible. What people don't realize is that Judaism has just as many problems. But beyond that, that the issues and the doctrines and the theologies that have come out of Christ- out of Christianity, things like, now and this is neither to affirm, or we can do a whole show on the, on the doctrine of the Trinity. But the whole doctrine of the Trinity, it came from... Believers wrestling with issues over and over and over again, and the place of how these words in Scripture in the books of the that we hold as the Bible, as canon. They take these words, they look at them, they say, how do we justify these with each other? How do we make them work with each other? These doctrines didn't, ju- it's not like some guy who was a Platonist all of a sudden woke up one day and said, hey, I'll tell you what, let's make up something called the Trinity and we'll sell it to people and people will believe it. And, and you know, 2,000 years later, we have, uh, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity well ingrained into the church. That's not how it happened. And so when people come into the Messianic movement and decide that they're going to throw out all these these Christian doctrines, Let me tell you something, things like Sola Scriptura, things like Sola Fide, things like the doctrine of the Trinity, they come from a place of good scholarship where men who love the Lord, men and women who love the Lord were wrestling with issues from the Bible. It's not like they just came up with these things and decided to sell them to people in the church. They're not just selling snake oil. So when people come into the Messianic movement and start rejecting things like even words, you know, the idea that the name Jesus shouldn't be used, that we should only use the word, the name Yeshua, or that the word Christ shouldn't be used, uh, you know, that we should only use the word Mashiach or Messiah, or, you know, that we shouldn't say church or anything. Like that. These are ridiculous thoughts. Jesus Christ is the same person as Yeshua HaMashiach. It's just two different languages. And so, to come in and say that these doctrines, such as the Trinity and whatnot, oh, okay, I understand that there is problems, you know, that we do have Greek philosophy trying to interpret uh, something that's uh, that's unexplainable, i.e. the Trinity, or i.e. the multiplicity of God. I understand that. Okay, I get all the issues. But to come in and just throw them out as if, as if these guys were idiots who didn't know what they're talking about, that's a problem. The church is the church and has its doctrines for a reason. And it comes from 2,000 years of battling of bloody messes and bloody wars uh, between Catholic and Protestant, and that wasn't even that long ago. But the Catholic church as a whole, even their doctrines, have come from somewhere. It's not like these people just made them up. So, you know, I, I find, I take issue with Skip's view as if, Oh, uh, you know, these Christians are stupid. The, you know, these Christians, people don't realize that they're just being led down the primrose path uh, of of bad theology. Well, it's not. That's not the case at all. OK, I've been on a soapbox for a little while. Go for it, Rob. What do you, what, anything to well, say about I, that? Well, I understand what. I Here's something I imagine.
1: Imagine scenario. I don't know if it's true or not. He either finds this pamphlet. Skip Moen does. He finds this pamphlet or it's mailed to him or given to him. And maybe he's getting a barrage of emails from people that are a similar thing. And he's kind of at a point, he's like, okay, I need to, the re, I'm just going to ask a whole bunch of questions to try to show people in a real quick blog entry that we, we can't just think in these limited categories because we're, we're missing out on so much. There's so much more to the substance of a life of faith. Than these simple bullet points. Therefore, I'm going to deliberately create a kind of a sensationalist a, a, a blog here. I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions just to try to unravel people's brains to deliberately shake up their 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 little boxes of thinking, you know, stir up the dust, etc. I can understand that inclination, that desire to do that. Um, and he... And that's why that last paragraph. He questions, questions, questions. You know, and, he, and so I, I can understand. I can empathize with that um, desire to to get people to think outside the box. And so I think he does accomplish that. However, I think he goes way too far. I, I think he he where he misses. But, I mean, we talked about some places where I think he big swings and misses, but uh, but he offers no pastorly direction. No, uh, I, I don't get the voice of someone who cares about the souls of a flock and that he wants to nourish them with the Word of God and to build them up and glorify Yeshua. Um, I don't get that tone at all here, and that's what, that really concerns me. Aside from, you know, there's Historical things, there are doctrinal things that he does, you know on one like for example, he talks about Yeshua 's blood affecting forgiveness well i I absolutely believe that, uh, but then he goes talks about grace as like a, a gift given under a Christmas tree or the gift of eternal life. Um. Well, I do believe it's like a gift. Well, would I say under Christmas tree? No, but I believe it's a gift.
0: Well, yeah. And so, and it, um, you're you're hitting on the on number five, and and basically, uh, you know, maybe we should read this because he he leaves this. You know, what you're talking about right now. He 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 is like it comes to a head in in uh, number in his response to number five, and basically, uh, you know what what Rob's saying now about how he he just kind of leaves these things open ended and doesn't try to give any uh you know he doesn't. He doesn't give any help to anyone who's who's searching here. It says, number five, this is from the pamphlet, His resurrection gave us eternal life, sealing to us the justification per- purchased by His death. So that's the pamphlet. And then Skip says, since we have raised some questions about the claim above in number four, that is the okay this claim follows the same line of inquiry: Are we really certain that his resurrection gave us eternal life? Certainly, the resurrection is the basis of the claim of authority given to the son and it is the guarantee of the first fruits but does but does the resurrection give us eternal life? Is eternal life a, possess, a possession that we have been given like a gift under the Christmas tree? What does it mean for Yeshua to say life is in the sun if his resurrection grants us some kind of spiritual possession? There is no doubt that the resurrection is crucial. Paul tells us us that if it had not happened, our faith is in vain. But what exactly did it accomplish? What is the purpose of the resurrection? If forgiveness is accomplished in the death of the Messiah, then why should we claim eternal life requires the resurrection? That's where he ends it. He gives no answers. Right. He's just, he, it's a shotgun approach.
1: He's just like boom, 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 shooting uh, shot all over everything. And it's not, there's no, in this, you know, I don't know, I'm not familiar with any of his stuff. This is the only thing he's written I've ever read. So it's totally not on my radar until today. Uh, I'm just saying that in this blog entry alone, he's venting and using the shotgun approach. And I think people, uh, are not edified by this kind of thing. I think they need, uh, they need the word of God, you know?
0: Well, I, you, once again, you know, he's being vague, but I'll tell you this, I, whether skip saying it or not, I'll tell, I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, if you believe that there is another way of salvation outside of the death, resurrection and ascension of the Messiah Yeshua, then you're lost. That is a heretical view. It is anti Bible. It's anti Torah. It's anti-apostolic scriptures. It's anti-Yeshua. Our salvation comes through the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Messiah Yeshua. End of, end of discussion. That's it. If you disagree with me, shoot me an email. Radio at com. I want to quickly jump back to our good friend Aaron's uh, email. Uh, so he says, Is Sola Scriptura the beginning battle cry? Do we try to erase the doubt of the scriptures to then move on to the person of Yeshua? Or do we start with the person of Yeshua and the correct understanding of salvation and then worry about Sola Scriptura later? Then again, how can you have a dialogue over the person of Yeshua and salvation without Sola Scriptura? It's a mess. That's an excellent question. It's a very good one. And I think that the answer to that is that it depends on your audience. You know, if you're talking to people who are uh, who say who claim to have a a faith in the Messiah Yeshua and and uh, you know are justified because of the work that He's done on the cross, if you're talking to that group, then sola scriptura is where we have to start. We have to start by implanting and by preaching and standing behind the idea of sola scriptura, that we rest our faith on the on the word of God, and that it's through the the Bible that we find our theology and our doctrine and everything else. Uh, as soon as as soon as someone says I believe in Yeshua, but and then you know questions of sola scriptura come up, uh, then they're going to have some huge huge problems with. It. Anything that they're talking about. And this is one of the big issues that we see in the Messianic movement going on right now, that people are giving authority, uh, divine authority, to the rabbinic texts. If you're talking to someone, however, who doesn't have a belief in the Messiah Yeshua, um, then, you know, obviously, it. it uh, I, I think it's a judgment call on your, on your part. We have to decide, okay, uh, would this person... You know, and ultimately, it's it's up to up to the Holy One to uh, you know we throw the seed on the ground, and He's the one who comes along and waters and and uh, grows up that seed. Um, but if a person doesn't believe in, in uh, that Yeshua is the Messiah or or in uh, the atoning work of the of the Messiah on the cross, then does it really matter whether or not they believe? You know, where do you start? Do you start with that, or do you start with the Solar Scriptura? What do you think, Rob?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I think that there's. For the for the newbie for the new believer, I think the, the where you start is you sit them down. And you say, "Okay, this is not Starbucks drive-through. This is not this is uh, not Burger King. You don't get it. Your this way. this is not Taco Bell <laughs> where you you pay you know whatever and then you drive through and you pick up and you're gone. This is that's not that's not where we are here. You know, and so there's." And there's many facets over the lifetime of the believer where they mature in different areas. Yeah. And the education and growing in in knowledge of the Word of God is an important part of that maturing process. And then it's never-ending. It's not like you're going to arrive someday. You know, some of the—just to kind of paint—and it's not, you know— it's like the song, I never promised you a rose garden. You know, it's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not all, uh, it's not easy. It's not, you know, Yeshua said, you know, narrow is the way and few find it. Well, why, why is he saying narrow is the way and why, why the wide path is to destruction and many are on the wide path. I mean, there's some sobering orientation, I think that, uh, is important to, to bring up front, um. Not that it's a downer, not to, but just to bring some sobriety to, to the long-term nature of, of the growth of being a new creation in this world. That's right. Um, depending on God's guidance, day by day, you know, our daily bread, our little omer of manna for today, you know, that we gather, and recognizing the messiness, like Aaron put. Um, and that I think now, for where we are now in time, in a, in particular in America with messianics, I think that using that you know messy uh, little wordplay is helpful too, is to say, look, this is th- there's a lot of craziness out there, um, thinking of the internet as a, a real dangerous place, uh, and understanding that it, it it can be like dumpster diving, that relationships. You know, loving God and loving our neighbor is the weightiest matter of the Torah, and that's a full-time job, that those are obligations. We are never, we never uh, are out from under those obligations. You know, those are always present with us, no matter where we are, no matter who we're talking to, whether we're alone or where we're with others. And, uh, you know, starting there with the basics and then working out to say, you know, when we start reading the Scriptures, we're entering into a, this conversation of, those who came before us and translated into our language, for one, and there are multiple translations, and and we need patience, we need good teachers um, to, to persevere through that, keeping our eyes on Yeshua the whole time, knowing that any... Anything else is going to be that flooding, that shotgun approach, that flooding, you know, just like Peter standing on the water and he starts looking at, takes his eyes off Yeshua and he starts looking at the waves and all the distractions and all the reasons why not to believe, you know, and that's what gets his attention and he sinks. And of course, Yeshua is there to pull him back out. But the lesson is so important for all of us that uh, keeping our eye on Yeshua and I'm with you, Caleb, that the... The emphasis, it cannot be said enough that Yeshua, Yeshua's death accomplished a very real, made those who are in him, made their justification inevitable, not potential. In yeah, other words, right. he's not offering it uh, that you might or might not believe. It's up to you. That's not what we're saying here. I think that's an important point. Uh, also, the the picture of, you know, I, I like there was a teaching that uh, actually your father did, Tim Hague did, on Romans in one of the later, chapter 8, verses 30-something, but he talks about the four pillars. And I really like the imagery there, and that's online for anybody who wants to go look at listen to that audio for Romans chapter 8, I think verse 33, 34 maybe. But there's a downloadable PDF there about the pillars of Yeshua's death, his resurrection, his sitting at the right hand, of the Father, and his intercession for us. And and this is so important because it ties in with the epistle to the Hebrews. And, of course, we know the Messianic circles that are willing to throw that book out, you know, talking about canonicity. And they miss out on so much because they're ignorant of this bigger picture. So, now, does it mean that someone who isn't clear on these details, does it mean that they're automatically it's evident that they're not part of the kingdom. No, that's not what we're saying at all because God knows the hearts of men. And, and, um, you know, if you look at me, my, you know, faith 10 years ago or 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, that's, that definitely didn't represent me as a living tree growing and learning and being pruned, you know? So we also want to extend people that benefit of the doubt that, we're all works in progress and that, that we're always learning and growing. But there are these places like the, the epistle of Hebrews, you know, like there are some people out there that just because of where they are, where, what who their teachers are, they might walk around. Yeah, Hebrews doesn't belong in the Bible. Hebrews doesn't belong in the Bible. They might be firmly committed to that, but they don't know Greek. They've never read, you know, all they've heard is what they've been told. And so... I think it, it, we need to learn how to interact with someone like that who might just be ignorantly uh, spewing out what they've been told.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but on the other hand, you know, it is it is important for those of us, you know, to much, uh, who, to, you know, to those who much have been given, much is expected, um, to those of us who have, well, you know, believe we do have uh, a... An interpretation or way of explaining the scripture that is true to the whole of the scriptures, the Epistle to Hebrews I'm talking about now, with respect to the the Torah, it's not in in uh, conflict with Torah, as uh, I think Monty Judah suggests. Neither is the Epistle to Galatians, as I think he also suggests. Um, rather, we just need to study these things out and be able to get the word out, explain how th- how we are to understand. These letters of Paul are the epistle to uh, the Hebrews. And the picture is beautiful. The picture is what Yeshua did for us, what he suffered on our behalf out of, it says, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And not only that, he intercedes for us right now. And that just blows my mind. I mm-hmm. mean, that he ever lives, it says, to intercede. I mean, it's a it's wonderful... Glorious uh, uh, exhortation that the Epistle of Hebrews is, and encouragement in the Scriptures totally uh, as a whole. Um, that I, I think we need to cast that vision, you know, as much as we can. You know, I've kind of been rambling a little bit here, but to those new believers, just speaking to that very important question that Aaron has is like, how do you, when someone's been through the blender, you know, they've been, they're all dirty from the dumpster diving, you know, that they've been doing on the internet and they're full of these different ideas i think the best bet is to sit them down and to get them out of that freeze-dried instant answer uh i I need it right now mentality
0: Mm -hmm. well you know uh no i i totally agree with you and uh i guess you know um I guess you know we just gotta the idea of sola scriptura and and then uh, what what do we pre, what do we teach first you know back to that idea uh, I think I think that they're kind of wrapped up in in one you know if a person says that they believe in the blood you know in the in the atoning blood of the Messiah Yeshua uh, but don't believe in sola scriptura well then you're going to be able to nail them in different uh, theological issues and uh, their their theology is going to unravel uh, eventually going to unravel in front of them. Um, so, the, in a, in a way, they go hand in hand, and we got to teach both of them. So, uh, but uh, we're out of time for the day, for today. Um, join us next week. We have no clue what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe we'll talk about Jamatria. <laughs> yes, Gematria. Uh, yeah, and a That's huge, possible. huge, big thanks to Mister Aaron. Uh, for for sending us this email and for uh, giving us a great topic to talk about, if you want to uh, send us an email and give us a topic to talk about, do so by emailing us radioatourresource And since uh, Aaron, I remember you as the uh, you know the cool guy with the uh, with the Van Hoff and the uh, I don't know what you drove like a Camaro or a Mustang or something. Uh, for all those cool guys out there that uh, were cool back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, I'm going to take us out to a little bit special music today, not our normal uh, out music. Uh, so this is for all you cool guys out there. Uh, it, once again, if you do have a uh, topic for us, send it to us, radio at We like to talk about anything that glorifies our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.